Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the first ever GFFN Euro Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and for the next six weeks, myself and an assortment of guests will guide you through what promises to be another exciting edition of the European Championships. Joining me this evening are French football journalist Jonathan Johnson and our very own Eric Devine. Welcome to you all. We start the show with the hosts and current bookies' favourites, France, who haven't had everything go their way ahead of this tournament. From defensive failures on the field to crazy accusations off it, there's been no shortage of column inches devoted to Didier Deschamps' men. But Jonathan, how do you think Les Bleus' the preparations have been heading into the tournament? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the situation with Benzema has not been ideal. Uh, you know, losing a couple of players to injury as well. Uh, you know, the likes of Rafael Varane, Jeremy Mathieu. Uh, you know, that's also not been uh, the sort of thing that Deschamps would have wanted. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I think their preparations have uh, have gone relatively well. You know, the team have performed uh, reasonably well against uh, Cameroon and uh, and Scotland. So I think that they're approaching the the Romania match uh, on a high, which obviously you know is uh, is very important for the hosts. But I do worry, uh, you know, how much of an issue, uh, you know, the Benzema um, scandal has uh, ha has caused, and you know what what that's done to um, the players' mentality going into uh, this opening week. Yeah, it's been a, a strange moment, really, Eric, with Benzema coming out with those comments just before the finals have started. He accused Deschamps' choices of being racist. Um, what were your thoughts on on his words? I mean. It it obviously sounds a bit like sour grapes uh, coming from Benzema. I think that this is a player who, I think over the years, has been really maligned for his performances in the international team. For his, as superb as he's been for Real Madrid, he's never uh, you know, really delivered on the promises he showed for his club to lead this team to any significant success uh, in the international stage. And I think that, you know, at someone who's 29 this year, he's, this is, you know, he's, starting to begin to run out of chances to, to really show that he can be a player upon which France can hang his hat. I mean, and now we're beginning to see the likes of Antoine Griezmann and Paul Pogba uh, sort of surpass him as being, being players that are thought of as being the, the primary players for France. And I think that the, there's probably a, a decent level of that motivation uh, and, that, and that guiding his thinking. Uh, so I think that's, that's probably what's going on in his head. Uh, but it, it seems... Uh, that you know he may have, or at least for as long as Deschamps is still in charge, uh, really destroyed his chances of eventually being in, uh, recalled to the team. Because you know, what what if any purpose does this serve to, besides to have a destructive, to have a negative influence? I mean, we've seen with the likes of Samir Nasri, for example, uh, how uh, destructive comments can really be the end of a, a player's international career, no matter uh, no matter how successful they are uh, with their club and. I think that Benzema may be uh, very close to, if he hasn't already, putting himself in a similar position as the, as as Nasri to just never be recalled for France again because he's willfully he's being willfully destructive towards uh, the potential harmony that the squad are, are have developed. You know, especially uh, you know having lost lost having had two regulars no longer be in the team as a result of this. Yeah, and especially after the problems in previous tournaments, we think back to the World Cups in 2010 and and recent tournaments where they've they've not seemed as harmonious, and then the team seems to pull together, and then one more spanner is thrown into the works. But back onto things on the field and the recent friendlies, we'll start with that one against Cameroon, Jonathan. Uh, it was an okay performance with a good couple of goals, but again, there's worries in defence again, isn't there? Yeah, hugely. I mean, you know, missing Rafael Varane is, uh, you know, is a big, big uh, problem for France going into the tournament. Uh, I'm not convinced by Adil Rami. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not entirely sold on Laurent Koscielny either. But uh, you know, there's no real, uh, you know, choice now. He is the the senior starting central defender, uh, and you know, for me, I think uh, Deschamps is going into this tournament with. Uh, you know, only really 50% of his ideal uh, starting centre-back pairing. Uh, and, it, you know, it looked that way on the pitch against Cameroon. Uh, you know, Rami and Koscielny looked every bit the, the partnership that hasn't played uh, at international level together, or club level, of course, uh, since 2012. Uh, you know, and they I, I still think they looked a bit rusty against Scotland, although they didn't have to, uh, you know, really excel uh, in that game. So I think it'll be interesting if, if Romania can create a few chances in the opening match uh, to see just how the defence 
uh, you know, deals with that because I think that as as the, the further France go in this tournament, uh, I think that the central defensive uh, partnership of, of Rami and Cristiani will come under more pressure, more scrutiny. Uh, you know, and I at, at the moment I fear that that is the one area that uh, the, the the bigger sides in this tournament will be able to exploit later on. Uh, you know, potentially knock France out. Yeah, it is a real worry, and and the fact that Deschamps is sticking with this slightly dated idea of using a, a left-footed centre-back, that's why he seems to be using Adil Rami instead of someone like, you may pick Eric, someone TT. Is that a sensible decision, to play someone who's played so little international football in the last few years? I I understand why, I understand his logic, but if that that's what he wants to do, why not bring in Loak Perrin, someone who's been included in the squad, and who's also a different type of player. I mean... All of France's centre-backs are, if we think about it, really of a piece. Whether it's Koscielny, whether it's Sacco, whether it's Varane, uh, even Umtiti to some degree, are players who are very much, uh, um, very much more willing to use their pace to make up for, for potential positioning miscues. I mean, Varane in particular, we rave about his wonderful pace and acceleration for a centre-back, but oftentimes that's because he's made a mistake and we get to see that, that, uh, that come into play. Uh, you know, Kurt Zuma. I, I think. I think had he had he been included, he probably would have. Had he not been injured, probably would have started ahead of Rami. Uh, but I think the fact of the matter is that it does make sense to have a, a player like Rami, who's a bit more uh, willing to be positionally sound and more slow-footed. Uh, but that being said, you know, I, I I just wouldn't have gone with Rami. I think I don't think that. I think that it really smacks of desperation. And I, I again, you know, Perrin has been incredibly solid uh, for since at the end for years and years and years. I know he's a little bit older now. He's, I believe, 31 this year. But uh, the fact of the matter is I think that his his assuredness and positional sense uh, would allow France to have a more cohesive defense, uh, you know, no matter who his partner is, whether it's Koscielny or, or Mtiti or whoever else will, will play on the left side of central defense. Well, I think for me the the most important thing in Deschamps' mind when he made these decisions uh, is the experience of these players. I think the thing that counts against Mtiti and it counts against Perrin as well, which is, you know is crazy to say for for somebody who's been around for so long, uh, you know, and is a real familiar face for us in uh, in Ligue 1, uh, is that Rami has more experience at international level and crucially in big international tournaments uh, than both Mtiti and uh, Perrin. So, you know, I think that I can. I can see that, you know, being, you know, quite a logical move from uh, from Deschamps as well. But, uh, you know, I, I think there would be uh, big question marks over the, you know, the the, the, the centre back pairing, whether it was uh, Umtiti Koscielny, uh, you know, Perrin Koscielny, uh, you know, or, or you know, even Mongala uh, Koscielny as well. You know, I think there, there, there's question marks over all of those central defenders uh, in the squad at the moment, and. You know, we mentioned Zuma, mentioned Varane, mentioned Sarko. You know, all three of those uh, players would have been ahead uh, of the likes of Rami, and even ahead of the likes of uh, the, of Mtiti as well, uh, had they uh, been either fit or uh, you know not uh, not looking at a big suspension from UEFA as Sarko was at the time. Yeah, and that's really where the issues lie for France at this moment in time. But there are is some, certainly some positives, and we saw that in that game against Scotland a few days ago, Jonathan. They they really put on an excellent display, especially in the first half, and it gives them some real hope for the future of this tournament, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the one big positive from that game uh, was uh, the the way Giroud looked so sharp in front of goal, because you know that's been one of the big concerns uh, ahead of the tournament. You know, but certainly ahead of these two warm-up games, there was uh, you know a lot of criticism of Giroud, so much of it unwarranted. Uh, you know, I I know that he has his detractors when he plays for Arsenal. Uh, you know, and he can be a frustrating player to watch at times. But at the same time, you know, when he plays for France, you know, he gives everything. Uh, and you know, and I don't think he's ever really let Deschamps down when he's uh, when when he's played. You know, I don't think he's uh, you know had poor performances to the degree that we've seen from you know with Arsenal from time to time. So you know, I, I think all of this uh, this this criticism of uh, of Giroud is uh, is ridiculous, and I don't particularly understand where it's come from. You know, aside from the fact that there are a lot of staunch supporters of uh, of Karim Benzema who refuse to wake up to reality and look at you know the way that he plays with the uh, with with the national team uh, you know and his his stats at international level because Juru uh, you know statistically speaking is you know he's he's not he's not far off um, you know Benzema and 
I think he deserves the chance to, uh, you, you know, to lead the line. You know, I'm I'm not saying that France are better off uh, without Benzema because you know to have a player of that ability in the squad is obviously going to be a big boost. But to be without the distraction of Benzema, or in theory without the distraction of Benzema, uh, this summer, you know, I think is uh, it w- was it was a good thing for France. But now, of course, because of what's happened uh, with Benzema's comments, it's kind of brought that controversy uh, back to uh, back to France's door, and it's something that you know Deschamps is trying to uh, you know minimise as much as he can so that he can keep the players focused on the uh, on the opening game. And uh, you know, we saw. Against Scotland, you know, just how focused the players do look. I mean, okay, second half was a bit of a stroll, but all the work was done in the first half, and it was. It was a very encouraging opening 45 minutes. Uh, you know, France looked sharp in uh, in front of goal. Didn't get tested too much defensively. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, they still looked a bit ropey at times when the ball did get uh, into their half. However, uh, you know, I, th- I think it was as good a warm-up as, uh, as as they could have hoped for uh, the French uh, going into the game against Romania. Uh, and I think that it, as long as Giroud is, uh, is is feeling the same uh, level of confidence that he is at the moment, uh, you know, then I think it's going to be uh, possible for the for this France team to score a lot of goals in the tournament. Yeah, and he's in really good form in France at the moment. He scored quite a few goals in the last couple of friendlies for for his national side. And Eric, those attacking options really looked at full strength against Scotland, didn't they? They looked dangerous almost every time they moved forward, especially in that first half. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Jonathan. I I, I honestly to, had been one of Giroud's detractors earlier in the season when I had been writing my Le Bleu watch for the site. Uh, we had a piece that was published every week: five players who helped and hindered their performances. Uh, towards being selected for this summer squad, and Giroud was frequently on the the underperforming squad uh, due to that long goalless run he'd had with Arsenal. But uh, seeing him in action uh, has really assuaged my doubts. Um, I think that you know prior to his showing his good form for for Le Bleu, you know I had, I would have preferred that Deschamps uh, would have gone with with either Griezmann or Martial up top, uh, but you know we, we've seen how both of them can be potent scorers playing in. Uh, playing in a 4-3-3, Martial in particular, when he was at Monaco. But uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, Giroud looks ready. He looks hungry. Uh, his one-touch play is, is stupendous. Um, and he's, he's ready to be, you know, an active physical player uh, when, when needs be. And his, his touch is improving as well. I think that, uh, you know, much to my pleasant surprise, I, I, I am a lot higher on France having seen them uh, play going forward in these two friendlies. Uh, than I was a couple weeks ago. I think that they they really look a team now, and they really look dangerous. And again, you know, Scotland and Cameroon aren't the best opposition, um, and I do worry about uh, their their defensive frailties. But but going forward, I mean, you know, the the front six players, if you will, for France are, I would argue, the best in the tournament, and this team's just coming together at the right time. Yeah, and, and just some selection questions just for to throw at you just for the end of this sort of conversation. And Jonathan, I'm going to go with a, a, probably quite debated one in France at least. Um, would it be Payet or would it be Martial for you on that on that left hand side with Griezmann and uh, I'm assuming Giroud up front as well? Uh, for me, it has to be Payet at the moment. You know, I think that he is in such good form. You know what he's shown for for France in the last few games. Uh, you know, I, I don't see how Deschamps can uh, can start against Romania without him in the team. I mean, you've also got to factor in the fact that he is such a threat from set pieces and you know and and from range as well. You know, it doesn't have to be a dead ball. You know, he has a great shot on him from distance. And uh, you know, when you have a player who's in that sort of uh, you know run of form that he he's in at the moment and has been for West Ham throughout the the season. Uh, you know, I, I think that he has to be started there. I mean, okay, you know, we saw in the game against Cameroon, you know, he he lacks a little bit defensively every now and then. Uh, but you know, I think that as 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 good as Martial is, um, I still prefer him through the middle as opposed to out wide. Uh, and I prefer to see him sort of, you know, as one of the options to bring off the bench. Uh, as opposed to to starting um, you know wide on the left when you've got Pay in this sort of form and if if Pay you know sort of starts to be looking a bit disinterested again like he has done in the past for France uh, you know then Deschamps can of course rethink it at that moment but for me at the moment I I think that yeah has it has to be Pay in that front three with uh, with with Griezmann and uh, and Giroud and I think. You know, I would really like to see uh, Griezmann get a chance in the middle, in the same way that we see him uh, for for Atletico. 
I mean, I'm, I'm kind of torn because I think it would be a really poor move of Deschamps if France were to win their, their two opening matches uh, to, to completely change things because I think it's one of the things that really undermined them at the, at the World Cup back in 2014. But I would really like to see what a front three, uh, you know, that consists of, uh, of Griezmann, Martial and Coman could actually do in, uh, in, a, in a game. But, you know, I think to go into the Switzerland match... Uh, with a front, with an experimental front three like that, might be a bit of a risk, even if France have won the the two games uh, before that. But you know, there there is so much uh, potential, uh, you know, so many options for for Deschamps to to to, to go through. Uh, but I do think that the right decision, uh, certainly ahead of the Romania game, will be to start Payet on the left, Griezmann on the right, with Giroud in the middle. Yeah, that that front line of Marshall, Griezmann, and Coman gives me nightmares. Never mind our position defenders. Um, Eric, a, a position we've been debating quite a bit this season is that third man in midfield, and with Lasana Diara out as well, is it Kante or is it Kabai for you? I think it has to be Kante. I think that the work rate and energy of the, the trio of Kante, Pogba, and uh, Matuidi is is frankly frightening. Uh, I, I appreciate what Kavai's qualities, and I think that he worked well at the base of midfield uh, in the World Cup. But I, I just, I just again, with the defensive situation being what it is, France need to protect their back four. And for me, uh, N'Golo Kante is the best option there. Uh, I think that his defensive instincts and his tackling ability, and also his ability to to start counterattacks um, with the way he breaks up play. Uh, make him the necessary choice. Uh, as sublime as Kabai can be playing playing balls over the top and the like, uh, I really think that France need to do as much as they can in that midfield to protect the defense, and there's really only one option there. Yeah, the amount of options that France have full stop is starting to make my head spin a little bit, in that, especially in that attacking area, and there's <laughs> a few teams that unfortunately have to take that on this summer, and, and one of them being Romania on Friday evening. And while many feel that Group A will be an easy ride for the hosts, you can never be so certain Switzerland and Albania complete the teams that Le Bleu will pass, must pass through to get through to the knockout stages. Um, but... For, um, Jonathan, who do you think will cause France the most trouble out of those three? Well, I definitely think that Switzerland will be the hardest side to beat, uh, but of course they come third in the in the list of fixtures. So uh, I think, you know, looking at the opening two games, I'd say that the tougher team is probably Albania. You know, we've seen them in action against France uh, recently. You know, they were in the group that, that France was sort of, uh, you know, theatrically drawn in, you know, kind of just for show, uh, so that they got some semi-competitive matches under their belt while they were waiting for everyone else to qualify for the tournament. Uh, you know, and Albania really looked, uh, you know, very, very impressive, very solid. You know, nothing, nothing spectacular, nothing showy. Um, they, they were just a very solid, uh, you know, tough to break down team. And um, you know, I think that they could frustrate France once again. Uh, you know, this is a team that drew uh, when when they played each other in uh, in Rem, but then beat France uh, in Albania. Uh, you know, and I think that if if France and you know somehow contrive to not win the opening game against Romania and start to look a bit nervy, a bit jittery. You know, going into that game against Albania will be an absolute nightmare because they'll be up for every match, particularly uh, against the hosts. And you know, if if France were to go into, I mean, I, I know a lot has been made of the fact that teams can still advance from the group with you know three draws, uh, but you know, if France were to go into the the final game against Switzerland, having you know not picked up favourable results against either Romania or Albania, you know, I think that that puts them in a in a, in a really difficult position because France really you know, need to win the group if they uh, if they want to go as deep as possible in the tournament. Yeah, and thinking about some of the other opponents that they have uh, in coming up, Eric, um, obviously they have Switzerland in that final game, but that could be their toughest fixture really, especially, like Jonathan says, if they need a result, it could be a tricky one to get that win out of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, uh, you know, all of these teams, I think, are, are of a piece. I think that they're, they're very sound defensively, and they, they will struggle... For goals, I mean, Switzerland have Brillo Mbolo, who I think has had a really, fa really fantastic couple of seasons for for FC Basel, um, and you know Albania has some some sorry some lovely attacking options as well, uh, particularly uh, with oh, I'm blanking on his name, the guy who plays in the MLS was at Basel for a while, uh, Gashi, yeah. uh, and it's it's all these teams are. Just dangerous enough, I, I think, as Jonathan rightly said, to beat France. If France fail to look cohesive going forward, again they have, but 
if they're not on their day, like that match at Albania, and Albania won that match uh, 1-0 on a free kick, uh, that's the type of match that, that could undo them. I could see, for example, France finishing this group with five points, uh, beating Romania and drawing with Switzerland, um, and and uh, Albania, say, won all in both of those matches, uh, and, you know, potentially uh, going you know, going through in in second, you know, we're Switzerland to to say capitalize on France's stumbles. Uh, so it's it's a really dangerous group. I think that you know we have to look. At, I know we we as 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 pundits and we as commentators tend to mock uh, the Euros going to to 24 teams and deride it for the quality of teams that it's it's brought in. But the fact of the matter is, you know, these teams are all can all play uh, on their day or really strong. Football match, and and again, you know, they are going to be g'd up to to play the hosts, and they, and they are going to want to to show what what they can do. I mean, Romania haven't qualified for major tournament since 2008 Euros, I believe. Uh, Albania never have, and it's you know, Switzerland are, are always a solid team, but they don't really have the focal point in attack that I think necessarily has me worried. But again, they're they're all teams that on their day can be exceptionally dangerous. Yeah, and the reason they are dangerous is like you've mentioned is that. They're all very solid. I mean, especially I've seen Romania play a couple of times during the qualifiers, and they conceded two goals in the entire qualifying round, which is pretty ridiculous for any team, even facing the likes of Northern Ireland, Hungary, Finland, Faroe Islands, and Greece won't necessarily put all the frighteners in you, but still, two goals conceded is ridiculous. I mean, the Vlad Cicares and, and uh, Dragos Grigori in the centre-back pairing have, have really, really held firm in with their... Uh, Tataran Sanu in the um, um, Fiorentina goalkeeper at the, behind them as well. He's uh, a solid stop, shot stopper and uh, Razavan Rat in that back end. They've, they've got a really solid defence and that's going to be a really difficult ask for France, especially if they don't score within those first 30 minutes of the opening game of the tournament they're hosting. The nerves start to set in, the fans start getting on their backs. It can change quite quickly, can't it, Jonathan, really, that these teams that play defensively while France are playing at home it could really turn into some tough, tough games. Yeah, of course it can, and I think that every team that plays uh, France, you know, whether they're among the favourites or you know among some of the minnows of the tournament, uh, you know, their coaches will tell them the same thing. You know, whatever we do, don't concede uh, an early goal. You know, Switzerland will know better than most what happens if they concede an early goal. You know, we saw that in the 2014 World Cup when France just absolutely ripped them up. Part, uh, you know, and I think if if France can get themselves an early goal, you know, particularly I'm thinking, you know, somebody like Giroud, you know, all of a sudden the confidence is flowing, uh, you know, and and then they're going to be a major danger for the for, for the remainder of the match. You know, I don't think that teams will, you know, will want to just write off um, the game if they concede the first goal to France, but it will be so difficult for those teams to to, to get back into the game once they, you know, once they fall behind, particularly in this group stage. Um, you know, yeah, you're right. The, uh, the 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 teams that Romania played in qualifying were not of the, the the highest quality, but still, you know, to come out of the uh, to come out of the qualification phases, you know, with such a with such a good defensive record, you know, that will be a big boost in confidence uh, for them uh, coming into this tournament. They will just try to do things uh, exactly the same way that they were doing in qualifying, uh, and you know, uh, obviously notice. Um, an, an upturn in quality in the quality that they're facing, but you know they will still uh, try to to keep that organisation that tightness uh, in in defence. And if they can do that, they have a good chance of uh, of frustrating France. And you know, like we've said, uh, you know, if the if the fans start to get a little uh, a little jittery, uh, you know, a little unnerved, uh, then you know, if they if if Romania can get to half time uh, a a nil nil. You know, this the second half. It'll be really interesting to see how uh, how how France handle it because you know we've seen them uh, at times in the past in friendly matches. Uh, you know, looking a bit uh, lackluster, but once you know progression to the to the latter stages as quickly as possible is uh, is is on the line. Uh, you know, we'll need to see a bit more urgency from France. Yeah, and and, and going back to Albania with you, Eric. The, in qualifying, they played with. Surprising, probably unsurprisingly, they they played with about three defensive midfielders in most games, <laughs> and a and a strong back line that has a uh, like Sana, the captain from from Nantes, who we we know very well. But they don't pose too much of a threat. They scored seven goals in the entire qualifying. That's the least of any qualifier for the European Championships. But if France again don't get that early goal and they allow them to get in there, we've seen in the friendlies that that they're a good team and they they can cause problems, can't they? Albania, yeah, uh, they 
they don't. It's interesting because they have they have in in uh, in Kashe a, a player who's a bit more of an attacking option, but they really this team sort of is a four three three, sort of is a, is a is a four five one. I, I think that Lanyani, who has generally played it, Emir Lanyani, who also plays it not uh, on loan from Rennes, is generally used as a as a left back, but he plays a little bit further up for Albania, being sort of a de facto wing back and. Uh, and Gashi again, who you know is usually was used centrally, and uh, in, in, at Basel uh, uh, also plays plays as a sort of de facto wing back. So even their most talented and creative uh, players going forward on in wide areas are are generally used uh, as as sort of de facto wing backs. So it's a it's a really uh, it's really a uh, when Albania are in defense, it's really a sort of a, a kick and rush. Uh, style style of play, uh, you know, without much of a, a of a creative player. I mean, Talent Jaka is you know a, a fine player, but he's very much a, a physically robust uh, performance, and it, it, I think his his style of play uh, sort of really embodies the, the overall aesthetic that Albania have. That uh, you know, if if Lanyani or, or Gashi can hit you on the break, then and there you have. I mean, even even the fullbacks. I mean, we're so used to attacking fullbacks in in the modern in the modern game of football that. The likes of Pisaj and Anagoli are definitely not attacking fullbacks. They're 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 more likely to get stuck in and and break up play than than to than to you know play the overlap or or, or hit across. It's it's um, a hyper focused uh, defensive aesthetic, and I think that the Dibiase, the manager, has done done really well to to drill this team uh, to finish you know ahead of a, a, you know Denmark and, and Portugal sides who. Or sorry, Denmark and Serbia sides. They finished behind Portugal. Denmark and Serbia, uh, who are teams that are you know usually in the upper reaches of qualifying, they've they've really come from out of nowhere, and they they're typically finishing fifth or sixth uh, in their qualifying groups for major tournaments. But uh, DBS has gotten some important players to to come on board from Switzerland's youth ranks, and I think that's made all the difference to have a a really solid and really strong team. Yeah, and that gifted win against uh, Serbia that they got 3-0 after the abandonment really pushed them over the line a little bit. And uh, while that's obviously <laughs> a little bit of luck that they needed, they have been impressive in their qualifying campaign. They deserve to be there. Just before you go, Jonathan, we just wanted to get a question we've got from the from the live stream from Wes Brown. I'm not sure if it's the uh, former Manchester United defender, but he's asking if you think it will, who will start up front for Switzerland during the tournament, whether it will be somewhere Ahmed Medi or Brelembolo up front for the Swiss. I have to say, I think that you know, as 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 great a, a talent as Embolo is, uh, you know, I'm not sure if we'll uh, if, if we'll see him starting. I mean, there's there's plenty of good options there um, for for the Swiss. You know, you're looking at the likes of uh, Seferovic, uh, Mehmedi, uh, you know, even someone like Eren Dediok. I mean, looking through their squad, it's it's funny how many footballers you forget completely exist until you come across somebody like Dediok, who you know was uh, a, a well-established name a couple of years ago when he was playing in. Germany, you know, he's played for the likes of Leverkusen, Hoffenheim. Uh, now, uh, you know, sort of rebuilding his career in, uh, in in Turkey. You know, dangerous kind of player to come off uh, uh, off the bench. And you know, I think as far as sort of Embolo goes, uh, you know, I'm I'm expecting to see him, uh, you know, perhaps come off the bench as uh, as an impact substitute. But you know, set that that said, you know, by the time uh, it comes to playing Switzerland. Uh, both teams are going to be two games into their into their group stage, um, and you know, I I, th I think both coaches could could be changing their plans at that point. You know, we'll see how how Switzerland have fared in their opening two games, and uh, you know who Petkovic lines up in attack against France then. But I you know I, th I certainly think to, to to start off with, uh, Petkovic is probably going to want to go with someone. Uh, with with a little bit more experience than Mbolo, but as as we know, you know Mbolo is a is, is a fantastic talent. You know he's proven himself to be uh, to to have quite prolific potential at uh, at a club level. You know he's scored uh, broken into double figures uh, in both of the last two seasons for Basel. It uh, sounds like he's on the verge of making a, a, a big move to, to Germany. I think the last uh, the last I saw, I think he was linked with uh, with a move to Leipzig. Uh, you know, so it's a it's a big opportunity for him to impress. And I certainly think that you know, if if he started or played, uh, you know, on the bench, uh, you know, I expect him to pose problems. And he's definitely a player that that the France are going to have to watch out for. Um, Come the you know come come that meeting in Lille, uh, but you know you look at that uh, that, that Swiss uh, front line, 
you know, and there are players with uh, with good aerial ability uh, who could perhaps exploit France's uh, weakness from set pieces. You know, I think this is something that also that, that that concerns me coming into the tournament because I think it was after the the Russia game, the four two win in the friendly. Uh, you know, I think I saw a stat tweeted out by Optejean that 49% of the goals that France have conceded under Deschamps have come from set pieces. You know, and they've only conceded two more goals since then, which came against Cameroon. Neither of those came from set pieces, but uh, you know that weakness does still exist. And I think any teams with uh, you know with 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 tall physical players uh, capable of winning the ball in the air will pose a danger to France in this tournament. I definitely think the Swiss are uh, you know uh, in that bracket. Yeah, and I've just meant thinking that when you mentioned Derek Derdiok, I think m- many people forgot him when he was at Hoffenheim and Leverkusen for the second time. But uh, it might, that's the, the, what will happen is he'll prove me wrong come the tournament anyway. But thank you, Jonathan, for joining us this evening. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on as always. Um, follow him at, at John underscore Legossip on Twitter. He's always an, an excellent read. Thank you very much for joining us. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on, and I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, speak thank to you, you soon. Right, so very quickly, Eric, would you pick Mbolo or would it be a Medi for you up front for Swiss? I think, I, I, you know, I understand where Jonathan's coming from in terms of, uh, you know, Swiss, uh, this is a very veteran Switzerland team other than, other than Mbolo by and large. Uh, it, it, but I, I really think that his, his ability on, on the ball, I think that I think it'll, it re- he really can be the outlet and the spark that, that um, allows Switzerland to, to do what they need to do in terms of attack, I think that I think that it's it's his turn, his time to shine. I think that he's one of the players who could, uh, you know, really boost their status in this tournament. Um, you know, if there's a solid defensive framework around him, there's no reason he shouldn't be given uh, the opportunity, uh, even given uh, Dirty Ark's uh, veteran status uh, within the team. Yeah, what a perfect segue, if you, I do say myself, myself uh, surprise packages. But I, I will mention very quickly that uh, I think I would go with Brilliant Bowman or myself as well. I think I always think you should trust in the young players and a Swiss side that's struggled for goals in the past, give them a chance. Um, now, with every, every major tournament that comes around, there are bound to be a few surprises from teams that are bound to together to individuals that shine on the big stage. It's more than likely that in this this crazy game, another great story will don our screens over the next month. So, Eric, who or what team do you think can make this tournament their Hollywood blockbuster? Uh, Austria, I think unquestionably they have a, a group that you know Portugal we we know are notoriously uneven and have been uh, for years, basically for Cristiano Ronaldo's you know career uh, Iceland you know again are a great story I don't think anybody expects much out of them at this tournament uh, Hungary or you know a team that scraped in uh, you know w- without having really impressed that much in qualification but I think that if you look at the the level of talent on show Marco Inaptovic, David Alaba, uh, Zlatko Yunusovic hasn't had the season he had last season but um, I, I think that this Austria team is is incredibly dangerous and I think you know really could Really could could a win that group and you know with the, with the right draw I think could be a surprise semifinalist. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point that people are making that uh, that Austria are, are a potential dark horse and and while I, I agree that they have some interesting players especially in that midfield of David Alaba, Yunusovic who's had a, a solid season with Werder Bremen even though they've struggled and Julian Baumgartlinger uh, I'll say it right Baumgartlinger <laughs> who's been at Mainz this season and is obviously I believe going to Schalke in the summer he's had a, a very very good season in that midfield that helped them get into the Europa League but the two questions I would ask is that is do they have enough in defence? Although Alexander Dragovic has been impressive, and do they have enough up front? I mean, they're going probably with Mark Janko up front, or they're going to go with Lucas Hinterseer, who scored most of his goals at Ingolstadt from the set, from the penalty spot. Do they have enough? I think that I think that you know Janko again has has doesn't have the strongest record international level, but we've seen. I mean, Arnautovic isn't an out and out striker for Stoke. For Stoke, yet he still manages to score. Um, I think uh, Martin Harnik, I think is is dangerous as well, and and we've we've seen you know Yunusovic's ability from set pieces as well. Uh, I, I think that there there is the potential to be to be really dangerous for this team to be really dangerous uh, going forward, and I th- I think that defensively. Uh, you know, Martin Hinteregger and uh, Alexander Dragovic are, are, are fantastic players. We've we've seen 
or fans of the Premier League have seen uh, Christian Fuchs. Uh, you know, he's still as reliable as he has been during his time at Schalke for Leicester. And uh, this is just a really strong team, top to bottom. And I, I think that uh, given a group without a without a real heavyweight uh, in it, I think that that Austria have still have the potential to make a lot of noise. Uh, goalkeeper, I, you know, I, I do have a, a little bit of worries there about Robert Almer. I, I think that uh, it's that's a bit of a question mark. But other than that, I think I think that Austria are, in, are you know are in very good are in very good nick and have a lot of potential to surprise people. Well, it's certainly a, a club that most people will be watching, and, and I'm sure a few might have a sneaky bet on them. I, I bet they're sure outsiders. But um, another um, person joining us now this evening is our editor in chief, Christian Yuri. Thank you, Christian, for joining us. Good evening, Nathan. How are we doing? I'm very well, thank you. We're just talking about potential surprises in the European Championships. Uh, have you got a player or a team in mind that might cause a, a few uh, upsets or raise their profile? Well, I, I quite fancy Portugal, and I think, uh, you know, apart from a, a fairly very, very good Euros, of course, at the beginning of the 21st century, um, they've sort of disappointed at major tournaments. And I just feel like in, in all parts of the pitch now, Portugal have got some really good young talents who really have nothing to fear going into this tournament. Uh, you know, the, that sort of attitude when you know you've got maybe two or three more uh, major tournaments to fight for in your career. The likes of Rafael Guerrero, who we, of course, know very well from Lorient, um, you know, then of course Anthony Lopez in goal, who seems to be finally challenging for uh, that number one space from Rui Patricio, which is obviously good to see. Certainly well deserved after a showing for Lyon this season. I also quite fancy Poland uh, in Germany's group, Germany and Ukraine, of course, and then Northern Ireland making up that group. I think again they've been slightly undersold uh, in the sort of previous four Euro 2016. Uh, you know, we can run through the players, but there is enough quality everywhere in every sector for that team in order for them to have a, have a great tournament. Of course, Kruchariak is going to be extremely important for them if they are to progress. And uh, I think, Nathan, you predicted that Kemal Grzycki was about to light France on fire this summer. I'm not sure if you saw a picture of him. He posted on Twitter earlier today looking uh, very questionable, uh, to, to put it lightly. But uh, he's always a character, and I think he will enjoy uh, playing up front with uh, Lewandowski or, if he plays on the wing, then uh, providing the big Bayern Munich man uh, with all those chances to score some great goals. Well, that's the team, ironically, that I was going to mention as, as my potential pick for someone who might cause an upset in Poland. And looking at some of the players they've got, I mean, you've mentioned Krakowiak already and, and Grosicki and obviously Lewandowski, but if Grosicki does play on that wing and Blazikowski on the other wing, they have a real treat of Lewandowski and possibly Alexander Milik, who's, uh, sorry, Arkadarus Milik, um, who's been at uh, Ajax this season, scored 21 goals in the Eredivisie and Two big centre-forwards that like to score goals. That's exactly what we used to see. And that's the kind of team that you're going to get with with those two flying wingers. Krakowiak is that holding player. And Zielinski, who of uh, Empoli, who's been very, very good this season, who's playing as that box-to-box -box midfielder. They really have a good section for that six in front of them. They do have maybe some worries for who plays next to Kamil Glick in the back. And they don't really have an established left back. Piszczek, obviously, playing right back is good for them. But they're a really interesting team in a relatively weak group. Germany will probably be at least the favourites. They've not had the best of preparations, really. But uh, they're still a very strong side, and you can never, ever rule the Germans out. But the Ukraine uh, are getting a little bit old in areas. They don't have the same players. And, and Northern Ireland, Unfortunately, it'll probably look like they're going to make up the numbers, but they're going to be a very dangerous team, I think, especially if they go through Poland. No one wants to face Lewandowski, that's for certain, in the form that he's shown this season again. But, uh, Eric, is there anyone that you're looking at, in particular, player-wise, that could shine during this Euros and, and uh, up their stocks ahead of a transfer window afterwards? Huh. Well, you know, I think that... I think that uh... I think that there are a couple of players uh, from the Turkish team that I think can be can be really dangerous. I, I know that you know Turkey didn't have the greatest season, or sorry, the greatest match uh, against uh, against England. But there, there, you know, besides the the names that we know like Sahin, Jalanoglu, uh, and Arda Turan, there there are a couple younger players. Uh, Ogazan Oz, Ozakup, Oz, Ozakup. Uh, from for Besiktas and and uh, I, I think is a really interesting young player, uh, and you know I think that I think that 
that he's he's the type of player who I think can can really make a, a big difference. This is for a change a a turkey a turkey squad that's largely based in Turkey, uh, and they're starting to there's this team is a team that's starting to sort of uh, call call in some younger players. And, and move the team forward a little bit, and I think that you know the likes of Umut Bullet and Mebel Erding, Erding, who have been important to the team uh, in the recent past, you know, are are being you know left out for what's a fairly young team, uh, with the exception of of uh, Inan and, and Tehran, and I, I think that uh, that you know there's there's sort of a team that's got a lot of question marks because let's face it, I mean unless unless we're seeing Galatasaray or Besiktas, uh, you know, in in European competition, uh, or Fenerbahce when they're not banned, uh, you know, these are these are players who we're not seeing a whole lot of. Um, but you know, because of that, they I think they ha they Turkey as a team and Oziakop in, in general have a real chance to surprise people. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting team altogether. Turkey mentioning them. I did what go to the game against England, and they did impress in moments. Um, Gokhan Gunal had a very good game, although he's unlikely to start. And they have you've mentioned some really good players, and there's players that might not even see the field that are very good. Emre Moore's just got his move to uh, Borussia Dortmund earlier today, and Yunus Mali was excellent, especially in the first half of the season for Mainz, and was linked himself with a move to Dortmund. But we'll see how good they can be. Christian, is there anyone that springs to mind for you that can uh, really light up the Euros? Well, I think an individual who's not talked about at all, perhaps at least in in sort of you know whether it's England or, or France or wherever you are, uh, sort of in Western Western Europe, is uh, Vladimir Daridas, excuse me, of uh, Hertha Berlin. Um, he's going to be really important for the Czech Republic if they are to make anything of their chances in this tournament. Of course, Thomas Rizicki having been out with injury for the entire season uh, with Arsenal comes in as the captain and sort of waltzes his way into the team. But the real individual uh, in that central midfield that is going to be key is going to be the reader of uh, to Berlin. And I think, um, you know, if, if, he can, if he can provide the engine, he can provide that midfield stability and that bridge between defence and attack, then with a solid goalkeeper like Petr Cech, um, you know, Czech Republic can maybe do something that people you know, really don't at the moment fancy because I think the squad overall is extremely old. I think, you know, for example, a team like Wales with a very difficult group, uh, they're going to need to rely very much on Ashley Williams. It's going to be a very important uh, role that Williams plays because one, he's going to have to lead the team, but two, defensive stability for Wales when the out balls to Ramsey and, and, and uh, Rob, whether it's Robson Carnu or Bale, if they aren't working and Wales are just going to have to tuck in and sit down, um, you know, that's, that's, so that's, that's the, um, that's the situation for them. I think if you look from a France perspective and in, an individual who is interesting, uh, for, um, for Le Bleu to look at is Olivier Giroud, because I think if he can uh, really prove himself this tournament, you know, become maybe the top scorer, at least for France and be a reliable goal, th goal threat throughout the tournament, then Perhaps Giroud can finally put some of the critics to bed. If France can really go and, and do something magical this tournament, then uh, you know Giroud is going to have to be at least important, if not central, uh, to that success. Yeah, some terrific choices there. I especially like Vladimir Derrida. He's a really terrific centre midfielder. The, the, the few that I'm going to pick um, are a little bit different, in, of different scales as well. There's um, a player for Iceland, Johan Berg Gudmundsson, who's currently at Charlton, he'll definitely be looking for a move away. That's <laughs> minimum of saying with the struggles that the uh, London club are having at the moment. But from what I've seen of him in the Championship this season and the seasons previous, is he's a, a really solid player and he's been quite impressive for for Iceland as well and quite important to their hopes. And I think that in a relatively simple group like we've mentioned, yes, Austria look interesting and Portugal are a very good side but that's still quite a reasonably competitive group they would fancy themselves against Hungary and I think that he can certainly up his stock a little bit um, another player ironically from the same group is uh, Danilo Pereira of uh, of Portugal who's the defensive midfielder he was I thought exceptional against England in the friendly I thought he was the best player in the park he really broke up play very well was absolutely stern especially when they went down to 10 men he sort of shifted a little bit further back but not quite into defence and helped protect his team. I thought he was excellent. Um, and other than that, uh, possibly lucky goal for England right near the end, where eventually the pressure told that then it would have been an excellent performance. But he's certainly someone that clubs should be watching for in the summer because I think he he could be a really really good buy come that point. But it'd be difficult to get him out of that contract in Porto. That would be for certain. But uh, 
I think we should move on to our final topic this evening, and it's the one that usually is done before big tournaments, and that's time for predictions. So I'm going to go for the Golden Boot winner first. I'm go to you, Eric. Who do you have for leading the scoring charts at the Euros? Uh, Thomas Muller. He's, despite his in and out uh, at times at, for Bayern Munich this year, he always seems to come good in tournaments. Uh, you know, starting with the 2010 World Cup. So uh, I think that you know I look for I look for Germany to be you know at least a semi-finalist to give Muller ample opportunity to to score. For, um, Christian, who do you have as your top goal scorer for the tournament? Well, I'm going to go with someone that is perhaps slightly left of field, um, and I can't quite decide whether or not. That, well, this is definitely not wise, but I can't decide if it's really not wise or wise, sorry, or and re, or really, really not wise. But um, it's going to depend a bit on how selfish Cristiano Ronaldo is. But I think uh, someone like Eder up front for Portugal, if things start to go right for Portugal, you mentioned uh, Nathan just a little bit earlier how. Uh, impressive some of these young Portuguese players are as well, Pereira we talked about, um, but all over the pitch. And I think if Eda can get good service from Ronaldo, whether it's Charisma or whoever um, is going to be on those wings and, and whether or not Ronaldo plays up front instead of Eda, we still don't necessarily know at the moment. Of course, Ronaldo's only just recently come back uh, from an extended holiday after the Champions League final against Atletico Madrid. But I quite like Eda. I think in, in their group and in terms of his form, I think he can get a lot of goals in the group stage. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to not be not be typical and, and go for something which is slightly uh, unrealistic, but hey. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Cristiano Ronaldo supplying all the assists to Ed Air, but uh, it might be a fantasy world for you slightly, Christian, that one. But I, 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 th- I think you've stolen my choice, Eric, of Thomas Muller, so I, I will go for someone else, although... The, uh, the man who makes football look incredibly hard by being a, but still a world-class player is a big fan of mine, and I think he will get it. But I think we've mentioned, I've mentioned Poland already, and Lewandowski's in the form of his life again. Um, he's really been terrific this season for Bayern Munich and a real catalyst for them. Um, a team that many people thought didn't really need a, a big burly centre-forward has that big burly centre-forward, and they don't want to get rid of him now. <laughs> he's um, been exceptional. Um, he'll be the leading line for Poland and especially if they get out of their group and get a couple of extra games he's going to be their main man and he's going to notch plenty of goals for them um, now f- for the best player of the tournament so the one who will win a golden ball this one obviously can be a slightly controversial choice because it might come out of left field or it might be someone like it was in the World Cup where they just gave it to Messi because he's Messi but uh, who do you have Eric? I think that the form that Kevin De Bruyne shown over the last two years, I, I think that if Belgium are going to have any success in this tournament, it's, it's down to him. And you know, all, all the talk that we've, we've we've talked about this Belgian team as being this golden generation with Witzel and, and Moussa Dembélé and Brighton Nangolan, all these fantastic players. I mean, De Bruyne is what, and we've seen particularly with Manchester City uh, and and Wolfsburg how they how poorly they, they've each of those club teams has performed without him. Uh, that I think De Bruyne has a real chance to, uh, to 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 burnish his star even further, and, and you know take Belgium into the semi-finals. Christian, who do you think will win the best player? I think Dimitri Payet is in the form of his life. I think his entire career has been building up to this season, and I think it's his entire career is also, and this season rather, has been building up right up until this tournament. I think he's going to be continuously decisive, I think he's going to be consistently brilliant, and I think he's going to be a very important part if France can go and win this thing. I'm also going to go with a Frenchman, but um, as many stories, a, a great one in 442 magazine this uh, this month has mentioned that France have had a midfield maestro that has played for Juventus at the time of winning a tournament that has led them to glory, and unsurprisingly, Paul Pogba it's his time to shine, much like Zinedine Zidane and Michel Platini in the past. He's a terrific footballer. Uh, there's no bias because he used to play for Manchester United, but he is really an absolutely exceptional footballer, and he's just on the cusp of being the ultra world-class player that that really becomes the best in the world. Um, he's one of the best midfielders. I think this tournament is his time to prove that he is the best midfielder in Europe and in the world. And uh, this is exactly the stage that he'll want to do it on. So I'm I'm going to go for Paul Pogba on that one. You see, um, you see, Nathan, I just completely disagree with that. I just if you if you look at the two or three most recent French friendlies, 
we've seen we've seen the Paul Pogba that we've seen pr pretty much all season who will pull something fantastic off but then lose the ball the next four times unnecessarily attempting to do something that you know is is basically unnecessary as France attempt to build play now that's obviously great to watch but I just don't see him being as mature as you want him to be I just don't see it but you know we will see yeah, if I were to have to go for a French player, it'd have to be Griezmann. I think that this player is continually underrated. For me, he's one of the top five footballers in the world. And I think that if any French player were to, were to step up and do it, it's going to be him. Uh, I think that the form he's shown for Atletico, even dating back to his time at Real Sociedad, you know, he's not been, play he's not been played in systems that necessarily allow him to rack up the goals and numbers that the likes of a Messi or Ronaldo do. But the fact is, you know, he's consistently done it uh, got it done for for these for his his club team uh, for quite a long time now, and I think that you know he's been a little bit in the shade in the international scene, even though he was a starter at the last World Cup. I think that you know for, it's it's the opportunity is there for him to step up and be uh, you know one of the, one of the top players in the world to sh to show people that he is one of the top players in the world because I think that I think that he is. I think, but I just think that you know for where Atletico sit in La Liga and for where uh, you know, I think that he's he's the type of player that that can really make it have a breakout tournament and and show it. If if anyone's going to can win the award for France, that's it'll be Griezmann for me. But yeah. I, I think it's interesting with Griezmann because he's been a player who hasn't necessarily had a lot of pressure on him until up until this season when he was really relied on by Simeone to be uh, the forefront of that attack. And this penalty miss in the Champions League final, of course, is his biggest failure so far in his career. So it's going to be very interesting to see if he can bounce back from that or not. I think that's the only thing that, that slightly weighs on my mind when we think about Griezmann. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Eric. I think I think Griezmann's within the top footballers in the world at the moment. He's sensational, but I'm confidently disagreeing with both of you. The story's clearly, clearly written for Pogba to do this and create another Hollywood moment for France as they win the tournament on his shoulders. But uh, I'm going to add another topic in, into this, and that's going to be a disappointment of the tournament. This can, I'll open this to be a team or a player, if you like. Eric, who do you think will disappoint come the Euros? Uh, it's too easy to say England, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Yeah, I, I just think that Hodgson is is being so obstinate with his tactics. I mean, you he has the players if he drops Rooney to have one of the most exciting exciting midfields in the tournament, and and with the attacking prowess of Kane and Vardy, who've gotten it done, you know, over over a season consistently, uh, and, and aren't playing with the weight of of, of failure that. Uh, the likes of Rooney have had a way of disappointment, I should say, that you know, having disappointed a succession of major tournaments that some of the players of the past have had. They don't have the the weight of that golden generation tag. I mean, they're they're players who have come, you know, risen from relative obscurity. If you date looking back two years ago, to to become some of the best attackers in the world, and it's 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 similar with the midfield, uh, the likes of, of Ali and 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 Dyer. Uh, as as well as the fullbacks, uh, Rose and Walker, you know, they're this is a team that's that's this is England is turning over a new leaf. But if Hodgson persists in in, in starting Rooney and, and trying to shoehorn uh, Vardy and Kane under the wings and limit their effectiveness, uh, he's wasting, you know, probably England's best chance to Im improve it. it it's, sorry, to impress at a major tournament that they're going to have for their foreseeable future. Uh, you know, I mean, Vardy is fantastic, but he's. 29 this year or 30? I'm, I'm, he's not a young. Yeah, he's not a young player. So, you know, if if Hodgson can remove his head from his posterior, uh, then England can succeed. But at the time, for the time being, I don't see it. I am going to partially agree and partially disagree with you. <laughs> uh, what I will very quickly say is, I think I think Rooney is still important to the team. The formation that he wants to play is wrong because he wants to play 4-3-3 really, but he is trying to shoehorn in a 4-1-2-1-2, which he should play because we have the players to play that with Eric Dyer at the base, Deli Ali, and then one of Jack Wilshire or Jordan Henderson. I personally prefer Jordan Henderson because he's better box-to-box. -box. Then Rooney in behind Vardy and Kane. The issue is, like in that Portugal game, Vardy and Kane should not be trapping him back Wing back, wing backs and, and doubling up and leaving Rooney on his own 
to try and find passes to no one in front of him. It should be the midfielders that drop out. He drops back into that role in midfield to defend them and allow Vardy and Kane, or at least one of them, to be at the top to spread these counter-attacks to. But um, I am worried that we're going to be too defensive. But um, <laughs> before I complain too much about England's tactics going in there, um, Christian, who do you think will disappoint? Well, I have to concur with, with parts of what both of you said on England. I think that actually of all the managers and all the teams to use these friendlies uh, to their advantage, I think Hodgson's completely missed the point. Uh, I think there's still a huge question mark on if Vardy and Ken can even come up with a decent partnership together. I mean, these are two individuals who were not exactly private about their slight dislike for each other throughout the Premier League season. I think I agree with Eric. I think it's almost uh, slightly... Ironic, this whole new England uh, wave of players, and then you insist on playing Wayne Rooney or implementing Wayne Rooney in this system, which, again, when's he ever impressed at a major tournament? I don't think there is an answer to that question. Um, but, <laughs> right, maybe. Um, but in terms of a team that I think is sadly going to disappoint, and I say this with a heavy heart, I think it's all set up for Zlatan Ibrahimovic's final few days in France to really fall flat. I think their group is extremely difficult with Belgium and Italy. I think Belgium now have quite a defensive crisis, but I still think that Wilmots is a fantastic national team coach. I think he's going to uh, be able to overcome those issues. I just think you know this is potentially Zlatan Ibrahimovic's final uh, major tournament, although he did say in an interview with Le Mans today that he wants to play at Qatar 2022. Um, which he would be 40 at that time, but anyway, you know, he does what he wants. Um, but I just think, especially with the managerial situation, it's been very difficult for Amren to keep his job throughout these um, qualifiers in the first place. I just think the whole thing is really doomed uh, to fail for Sweden. And that, it's a shame because I'd like to see Zlatan grace uh, France's pitches one more time in a fantastic way, in a victorious way, but I just don't see it happening. I think I'm going to go for another team in that group you briefly mentioned, and it's quite an easy one, really, in Italy. Um, they have no forwards, is the easiest way to put it. Adair has been relatively disappointing for for Inter since his, he joined from Sampdoria. Graziano Pellas had an okay into the season, but is not prolific up at this level. Ciro Immobile has not played enough football, neither has Simeone Zaza or been consistent enough for their teams. And the real hammer blows is is the loss of Claudio Marchisio and especially our Marco Verratti of PSG, who's a really sensational footballer, would have been the massive X-factor for Italy. While they still have a really good defence with Barzagli, Bonucci, Chiellini and, and Buffon in goal, they just won't be able to score with the quality they have on the field. And I can see them... I can. See, <laughs> I wouldn't be entirely surprised, but that if they if they've lost their two initial games against Belgium and Sweden, I could even imagine Ireland getting three points over Italy if they're not careful. Um, I know it's, that might be a bold claim because I don't think Republic of Ireland have the best of teams going in. But we'll finish with the big question: Who will if the Henri Deloney Trophy come July 10th, Eric? Uh, Germany. I think that uh, the the likes of how the likes of Kimmich and Jonas Hector have come into this team and and further bolster the, the incredible depth that Germany have uh, and the attacking options that they have. Uh, the team's just in form. I mean, you, I think you can make a good argument for your own Boateng being the best center, center back in the world. Uh, Manuel Neuer is the best goalkeeper in the world. Uh, I think there's just too many weapons and too much depth on this German team uh, for them not to uh, pull off the same double that France and Spain have pulled off in recent years of going World Cup Euros in succession. Christian, who do you have? I have to sadly agree with Eric. I'd love to say that I probably think that France are going to lift lift the trophy again on home soil, but the Germans just have this ability to prepare in a completely next-level way for the tournament. Luff and his staff have this down. Um, they've had it down ever since, you know, basically 2002, and finally they were able to reap the rewards from that at uh, the World Cup in 2014. But I think, you know, pretty much all of Eric's points stand with me. Uh, I think a lot is actually going to depend on how the French public uh, react and, and how much they can support this uh, French team. I still think that actually in terms of cohesion and in terms of football that they play, the French attack or the French front four is still possibly the best in the tournament. Sadly, I think that potentially the defence is going to let them down because not only is it not the preferred centre-back partnership of Varane and Koscielny, but also I have my doubts defensively about Evra in a big game and Sanya 
too, has been impressive this season for Manchester City in the main, but uh, I'm still not particularly convinced by that. So I think France will fall short, and I also have to go with Germany. Well, I'm going to go against the grain. I would have thought Germany, but um, I am going to go with France for the tournament. I think even though the defensive frailties are a real issue, the real positive for France in this tournament is not only that if they finish first, their their route is very simple until the sort of semi-final stage, but also the real factor in this tournament is there, and it's quite clear when you look at a number of teams, is that they don't have an enormous amount of attacking talent, and therefore, as long as you can be okay defensively, you can be sound. And by far, I think France have the most options in attack to vary it up and have dangerous players in all those attacking positions. I think that will be enough to give France the win because this is going to be a strange tournament full of solid defences and not so great attacks in a lot of teams. And I think that the teams like Germany, I think teams like France, uh, who are just about good enough in in those areas, will just about sneak through. But I am going with France, so uh, let's <laughs> let's hope they can do the business. But uh, that's all for this week. My thanks to Jonathan earlier, and my thanks to Christian and Eric for joining us. Uh, thank you for everyone for tuning in and in a closing message to all the teams before the championships start on Friday in the immortal words of Muhammad Ali he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life Abianto and farewell